Well, I have always wanted a granddad. Never had one. Never, they, they didn't live when, since I've been alive. They just weren't there. But I've wanted one. I've thought about that. I've imagined what it would be like to have a granddad. This is kind of what I conjure up. You'd go over to his house, and uh, he wouldn't ask you what you wanted to drink. He'd just give you black coffee, slap you. And he would tell stories. He would tell a story like that time when he killed a communist with his bare hands because he had to. No choice. It wasn't an option. He had to take him out. I'd hear stories like that. I would relish those stories. And I'd listen to the stories uh, from a bygone era. And he would pass wisdom down to me. And I would listen to it and appreciate it and value it. I would want a granddad. This morning, we're going to talk about how there's a time for wisdom. You guys, if you've been here or been tuning in, you know that we're walking through Ecclesiastes and we're saying that there's a time for everything, a time to think about what's most important, a time to work, a time uh, to grow old, a time for seasons, to understand and appreciate the seasons of life. And today we're going to look at the time to be wise. Wisdom is, a, is an interesting thing. Last week I get a, gave a contrast because some of you have told me, have written to me and talked about how Ecclesiastes is hard. There's cynicism there, the structure and tone of it. Uh, and even scholars that have delved deeply into it have differing views on what is this under the sun, what's above the sun, what's he, what's, is he in the spirit when he's writing, is it inspired, is it just human cynicism that's uninspired etc, etc. And so to give you understanding, I talked about how it's in context with the wisdom literatures, uh, Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes and such. And Proverbs is pithy sayings, there's couplets, there's compare and contrast, things are put side by side. And it's like conventional wisdom. It's remember last week, it's the things you teach your kids. And if you do this, and you'll get this, but Ecclesiastes uh, is different than that. Uh, it talks about the fragility of life, how life is, there's just, you know, at times there's no guarantees. You can do the conventional wisdom and then it gets turned on its head and you're left wondering about it all. And so there's this invitation for us, all right, I'm, I'm putting it before you to understand that life is way more fragile. And there are, y'all, there are harsh realities of life. And so Ecclesiastes has this beauty to it, just this incredible beauty. Um, look at Ecclesiastes 6.12. Now, we're going to be in chapter 7, but look briefly at Ecclesiastes 6.12. It's on the screen. And then I'm going to put up 7.12. Now, I'm skipping the part in between because that's what we're going to look at today. But just consider 6.12 and see the cynicism here, okay? For who knows what is good for man? Phew. Resignation. Wondering, who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Here's the depressed French philosopher we talked about. For who can tell what man will be after him under the sun? <sighs> Not a lot to count on, it seems like. But look at chapter 7, verse 12. We've got to figure out what happened in between. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. He speaks with certainty there. He speaks that there's something that you should search for. And when you find it, it's more valuable than any material possession you can have. As people get older, 
they think about what they're going to pass on. One generation inherits what another person, another group passes on. Uh, you You know how this works in the modern day. They had a little bit of that back then, but in the modern day, we might hire a lawyer and draft a will and designate beneficiaries. And the idea is, who will get my wealth? But here we're asked to think, who will get my wisdom? What am I going to pass down? So in between 612 and 712, I want us to look and sit at the feet of Grandpa Solomon. And let's learn a little bit. Now back up a bit. In Proverbs that he wrote probably as a middle-aged man, he talks about wisdom. He talks about wisdom as giving this invitation. Wisdom is... Um, it was loved by the people of Israel. They, the, Israel was surrounded by nations with m- much more greater, sophisticated machinery and weaponry. But the people of Israel had a book. They were known as the people of the book, and they collected wisdom, and they treasured wisdom. They wrote about it, and they reflected on it, and it was their strength and their permanence. By the way, none of those other nations were they're just little footnotes in history. But they loved wisdom. When I was a little boy, we had this little funny thing we would do. It was, it was considered to be funny if when someone said, I love something, then we would say, you know, if you love something, why don't you marry it? I love this hot dog. If you love it so much, why, why don't you marry it? We had a real low bar for humor. But Israel, listen, they loved wisdom so much they married her. In fact, they personified wisdom as a person, as a woman. In Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 9, the woman, she's, uh, she's, she calls out. She builds her house and she calls out. Not the seductress woman, but the virtuous woman. She builds her house and she calls. The invitation is for us to be wise. Now, wisdom is a woman because wi- women are, dot, 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 feeling like women are, Right, yeah, okay, if you're a man and you're with a woman here today and you didn't say wise, you are foolish, okay? It's just straight up, like hardcore literalism here in the Bible. Woman, women are compared to wisdom. Wisdom is called a woman because women are wise. So there's the invitation of wisdom. And the verbs used in the wisdom literature, I did a study on this. When wisdom is talked about, we're, we're told to search, listen, choose, and follow. Search, listen, choose, and follow. It's this invitation. You see, wisdom, wisdom is less dark and more light. Wisdom is less drama and more substance. Wisdom is less being tossed to and fro by wind, wave, and storm, and more about being anchored and grounded and centered in what is permanent and doesn't change. Wisdom is about what can give you life. Now, this helps to understand metaphor and literalism when you're reading the wisdom literature to understand that sometimes death is death. We're going to get there in a minute in chapter 7. Sometimes it's a literal physical death that's being referred to, but most of the time, most often it is not. It is like, hey, we're all living, but some people are dying as they're living. It's going toward them being trapped like a, a, a bird or a fowl in a snare, being lured in and caught. It's, it's, there's a way of foolishness, and that leads to death. But there's a way of wisdom that both people are alive, but wisdom creates life. It's less darkness and more light, and that's this great idea that Solomon gives us. Wisdom, 
as an invitation. Search, listen, choose, and follow. Here's what I found. It's, it's easier, very easy uh, to find wisdom, but it's so hard to follow in the way of wisdom. So the invitation. Now, here's what I do want to say. Wisdom is different. This is where we have a breakdown. There's a difference when we think of, of there's a difference in wisdom and knowledge, and there's a difference in wisdom and understanding. Now, they're tied together, but don't see a linear line and don't see a direct parallel between wisdom and intelligence. Paul Johnson, any philosophically-minded people, this is a book recommendation. But Paul Johnson wrote a book called Intellectuals. And in this book, Intellectuals, the scholar and historian Paul Johnson, very revered as a writer, as a thinker, he talks about um, modern thinkers and the moral outcome of their lives. These are people, in particular men, who've shaped the thinking of millions. Let me show you a couple that Paul Johnson talks about in his book. This is Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He's known as the father of modern education. So he has affected millions of people and the educational system today. Jean-Jacques Rousseau abandoned five children to an orphanage. He didn't even name his kids. He dropped them off in an orphanage and history suggests that all five didn't even live. Uh, There was mistreatment and malnourishment in this deplorable orphanage. Unnamed children dropped off on the front steps. None of them made it into their teenage years. Uh, The woman who was closest to him, he had many women, but the woman who was closest to him at the end of the uh, live described, she said, the best thing I could say uh, for him at his funeral is that he was an interesting madman. This is Karl Marx. Many more will recognize him, the father of communism, socialism. He was a horrible manager of money. (laughs) which might have influenced his communist view and vision for economics. He was a horrible manager of money. He wrote extensively and powerfully, some would say, about the working class. But his personal life would show that he knew no one from the working class. He wrote about the working class, but the only person he knew from the working class was the family maid, who he did not pay a dime. He offered her or provided for her room and board. He would father an illegitimate child with her that he would deny. This is Jean-Paul Sartre. He is known as the, as the pioneer, if you will, of existentialism. Influenced millions and millions of the highest ideal of life is being independent and having freedom and choice. History would show that he wrote and wrote and wrote and influenced and influenced and influenced, but he did so very little to help the resistance during World War II and did essentially zero to, to provide rescue for the Jewish people. He uh, viewed women as commodities. His personal life was rough. He went through woman after woman. He viewed them as commodities to possess all human, but what I'm doing here is not trying to be judgy, judgy, but I'm trying to point out to you that these were some of the best thinkers ever known in the history of the world. And borrowing from Paul Johnson in his book, Intellectuals, he says, hey, the moral outcome of their life, the Bible would call that foolishness. 
So let's be careful to not equate wisdom with intelligence. So wisdom, wisdom, less drama, more substance. Wisdom leads you into a life that would flourish. Well, what do you do about wisdom? What do you do to go get it? It's calling out for you. Search, listen, choose, and follow. What I want to do this morning is take chapter 7. So chapter 12, we looked at it, 612, where he seems overtly cynical and wondering if there's any answers to it all. And then 712, he tells us, hey, there is a way. It's a very wise way. I'm going to take these verses and look at them this morning. Just, just walk through them, okay? Can you do that with me? Let's do it. And I'm going to give you six points. Don't react negatively. I'm going to be quick. I'm going to honor our time. We're going to run through these pretty fast. They won't, all want to have equal weight. But let's read Ecclesiastes 7. This is verses 1 through 12. We'll read it together. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So some of that makes you furrow your brow and scratch your head and say, come on, preacher. This vanity of vanities, well, it's killing me. This futility of futilities. Talk to me here a little bit. So point number one when it comes to embracing a life of wisdom, because there is a time for wisdom, it's this. Refuse bribes. You read this in chapter 7 in verse 7. Now, here's what I do. You're thinking, why, why make this a point in America, in the South, in Jackson, Mississippi in 2022? Honestly, I read this and I think chapter 7, verse 7, I think I, I, I bypass it. I look past it because when I hear the word bribe, I think of a sleazy government official with a wicked grin and an evil sneer and he's up to no good. He's about, he or she is about to get something for nothing. They're, no, they're thinking about themselves and not the people that they serve. And so here's what I want to honestly say. I've got my sin. You hear me often say, uh, I am the preacher and my sins are many. So I have many sins, but I've never extorted anything from anybody. I've never taken a bribe. I don't. I mean, I have to be careful. First Corinthians 10, he who stands, be careful lest he fall. I should be a little more humble here, but I just don't ever see myself like extorting somebody. I don't ever see myself, you know, in the back parking lot exchanging, uh, you know, thousands of dollars of, uh, of unmarked bills and brown paper bags and, you know, doing, you know, getting a quick advantage. I, so I bypass that. And I think, you know, Solomon, what are you talking about? This is written for sleazy government officials. It's written for people in power who are tempted 
to abuse their authority and hurt other people so I can look past this. But then I began to study and I thought, oh my word, he is writing to me. Because a bribe, I'm tempted by a bribe like every day. And you are, because what is a bribe? A bribe is when you get an immediate benefit. You choose an immediate benefit over doing what is right. When you bribe, and it says in Ecclesiastes 7, 7, did you see it? A bribe, what does it do? It corrupts the heart. It corrupts your heart. When you, you're following wisdom, you've searched for it, you've listened for it, you've chosen it, you're even following in the way of wisdom. But a bribe comes along. And a bribe tempts you. It beckons you, it allures you, it winks at you, it seduces you. And it says, you know what? Here is a shortcut. Here's a quicker way on the path. Because oftentimes, if you notice, the path of wisdom, the path that brings life is a path that times it seems like death. It's a harder thing. It takes persistence. It, it, it's lonely to be faithful at times. When you do the right thing, you feel like the minority. And so what happens? A bribe comes along. If you want to be a person of wisdom, search, listen, choose, and follow. If you want to remain a person of wisdom and be known as a person of wisdom and have children who walk in the way and benefit from your wisdom, then refuse bribes. Stay on the path because your heart will be corrupted by a bribe. Often, way too often in pastoral counseling sessions, I know that I'm talking to someone, and to give it new language now, to give it old language from Ecclesiastes 7.7, I see a life, uh, I see um, a rich history, I, I, I see potential in the life, but I hear them tell a story, and then I know why they're on my couch, because they took a bribe. They, 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 they wanted the immediate benefit. They chose the immediate benefit over doing what is right. And listen, we're all, we all can be just one decision away from wrecking our lives. Be very careful. Refuse. A lot of life, you know, a lot of life is about hating, like hating the right things and just having a refusal, a staunch refusal to be pulled into what's immediate. Think about the longer road. Think about what's eventual because what is immediate, that bribe, it could give you something quick. It could give you a shot of euphoria, a release of dopamine. It could give you something that feels good in the moment, but in the long run, it will bring death and you will be in its trap. It will corrupt your heart. Refuse a bribe. Second thing this morning from Ecclesiastes 7, live honorably. It says this in verse 1, 7, 1 that a good name is better than precious ointment. Some versions, you may like this better. It sounds more English, more common day. But uh, a good reputation is better than perfume. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, it's so interesting that just from the ESV, English Standard Version, a good name is better than precious ointment. There's only, when you take the Hebrew word for name and the Hebrew word for ointment, and there's only one letter difference in those two. How beautiful is that? So this is, this is rich, rich when you get into the language to study this. So here this contrast, um, a good name is better than precious ointment. That's very close. But here's what I believe Solomon is alluding to. You can smell good, but if you're, but if when they mention your name at the table, everyone rolls their eyes, that's no good. You can do so much to look good. You can go to the gym. You can whiten your teeth. 
to broaden your smile. You can eat more green leafy things. You can have some surgery, some work done. Look, I'm not against any of that. Y'all be free in Jesus to do what you want to do. You can make yourself look good, but will you be good? Will you be virtuous? And what will people know about you? And what will they say about you? I heard it put this way once that character determines how far you go and if you'll like yourself when you get there. Good looks and a great personality can get you married. Gifts and abilities and skills and proficiencies can open up a door for a job. Anybody that's fertile or potent can make a baby. But to stay married and to turn the job into a career and a calling that has longevity children who will listen to you when you communicate and they'll be influenced by you and they'll want to be with you when you're older and they'll actually want to vacation with you that takes character and integrity but think of the energy and the money and the angst that we spend on the precious ointment the perfume the looking good and smelling good the outward stuff but it's the inward stuff the good looks and great that can get you married but what will keep you married is your character Character will determine how far you go and if you're there. Don't worry so much about the outside, but focus on the inside. So refuse bribes, live honorably. And then thirdly, from chapter, from chapter 7, verse 5, receive criticism well. Notice the contrast here. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of of fools no one among us likes to know that they have massive knows or likes the fact that they have to have big improvements in important areas of their lives like nobody wants to know that you know what's so easy to do and you know what the masses choose to do like don't be one of them but the masses of people just choose to stay comfortable where they are to stay comfortable and live and and honestly to take one verse with another to receive the bribe like to receive the bribe of like oh I'm fine the way I am I don't know I'll stay like this I'm not going to listen to this I'm fine just the way that I am. And look what he would later say in chapter 9 and verse 17. Man, this is rich. He would say this The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Do you know that foolishness, getting close, if you really have a desire to search, listen, choose, and follow, and if you're making progress in that area, but listen, here's what I'll tell you foolishness shouts at us. I mean, just look at the shows on TV, keeping up with the Kardashians and the real housewives of fill in the blank and on and on and on. I mean, I'm not the only one that watches these shows, right? You know, sit there for hours and hours, right? Look, wisdom just, it's quiet, but foolishness shouts at us. And I, I just, I love the implication. It's like, look at life and just know that there's a few people 
And you remember what Ecclesiastes, this is famous. There's some fame in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, it says two are better than one. Y'all know that? Like if two lie down, they keep each other warm. If one falls down, they can lift each other up. If two work together, there's a greater return on their investment. But it's like, you know, have some people that you can travel with. And have some with. But listen to them because they're going to tell you something quietly. Now sometimes, if you ever had this, sometimes someone who loves you will sit you down and tell you where you need to grow. And that never feels good. But Solomon is saying, man, that is, that's better. It's better than the song of fools. It's better than the stuff that shouts at you. Uh, years back, someone that I worked with uh, told me one day, I don't know if he was like confronting me, but it, was, it just kind of came out in our conversation. He goes, yeah, you know, Robert, one of the things you do is you, you say, I, I know I'm right about this. And then you'll make a point. Like, I know, I know I'm right about this, and then I'll make a point. And I didn't realize I did that. I would say to him, maybe to the staff, hey, hey, I know I'm right about this. Boom. And he was, you know, I think it was a gentle nudge, just like maybe making me aware of something. I began to think, you know, why, why do I say that? Why do I say I know that I'm right about it? Is it attention getting? Is it pride? Where's that coming from? Jesus said in Matthew 12, what comes out of here comes from here. Well, RG, what's in here? And there was a loving friend that kind of brought that to my attention. Again, I don't think it was a serious, he no longer works here, but anyway, I don't think it was a serious, serious confrontation, but it, it, it spoke to me. And I, I thought, you know, I did business with the Lord. I, well, why do I do that? Why do I say that? And it brought up some insecurities. Of, 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 there's so many things I'm not right about. And so when I am right, I, like, I want people to know I'm right. And there's something there that's not healthy. Uh, years ago, a, a friend uh, used to laugh at me. He's like, hey, let's have lunch. Let's have lunch. Let's have coffee. Let's hang out. Let's go for a run. Let's do this. Let's do that. And my response to him was, soon. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, dude, soon. Hey, let's do, hey, let's do that soon. And he, he, he nicknamed me soon. That was his nickname for me because I was always, hey, yeah, 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 we'll do that. But we just, we never did. And I thought, in what ways in my life can I, can I be all talk? In what ways in my life... Um, Am I not involved? In what ways in my life am I not intentional in connecting with people? What structure do I need around me to help me be the best pastor in person so that I'm not walking around to everybody saying soon, soon, soon. By the way, today I've told like five people I'm coming to your Super Bowl party tonight, but not really. I'm going to do that at 11 o'clock too. Hey, I'm coming to your party tonight, but not really going to do that. So refuse bribery. Um, refuse it. Live honorably. And thirdly, receive criticism receive it well fourthly we get this from um, chapter seven develop patience develop patience patient in spirit i love the contrast patient in spirit is better than proud in spirit i'll show you a picture uh, let's go back to that real quick i see some note takers make sure they catch it if we can develop patience this is point number four in our six patient in spirit is better than proud in spirit that's verse 8, I believe, yeah. It's chapter 7, verse 8. All right, the picture. You recognize this guy? Say it out loud when you got it. Who, what? Okay, had, we had a wrong answer over here. Han Solo. Okay, uh, that's the right answer. Don't steal my thunder, bro. Indiana, yeah, yeah, stop. Quit it, stop. This is Harrison Ford just after he played the bell hop um, in a movie uh, the death train of something something and a Colombian executive he, he it was a minor role if you look at the the poster of the film um, he's not even on it but he played he had a minor role as a bellhop in this movie 
And the Colombian executive called Harrison Ford into his office and said to him three times, got it. And here in verse 7, he talks about patient in spirit. It's better than poor in the spirit. If your Bible is open, you can look down and see. I'm not lying to you. He says that the, the, the finish is better than the beginning. And a lot of people can start things. But who can finish it? Isn't it easy to start a diet? I mean, it's, i got to be sensitive here because it's February 13th. So some of y'all brought it strong in the new year. But where are you now? Uh, you know, it's easy to start a diet. It's easy to begin an exercise regimen. It's easy to... Uh, think about a, a you know a new hobby and make a plan to do it. it it's really easy to think about character formation and you promise people around you that you will change but finishing is when we really separate ourselves it's patient i think about this this story of uh you could take him down i don't like to put hollywood actors who look better than me up on the screen for long but anyway harrison ford uh can tell you his story a big part of his story is how he finished not how he started and I don't, um, I'll probably Google this before the next service so I can be factually correct. But uh, I think he's the biggest actor ever. I think he's been a part of the most grossing, gross, gross film in history, most money grossed in history of film, if I'm correct about this. Harrison, you ain't got it. And listen, that could, his, Some of y'all started something, and I talked about dancing last week, like there's a time to dance. There's not a time to dance for some of you. But you start something, you quit, and you got feedback. But here's the thing. I heard somebody say something like this, like to getting good at something requires being bad at it for a long time. Being good at something requires being bad at it for a long time. To allow God to develop your patience, and that's better than your pride and finishing something means a whole lot more than starting something so and then fifthly control your temper y'all don't look at it if you're coming with somebody today don't look at them just look at me this is a painful it's yeah you know i know it's painful for a lot of us it really is so just look at the screen look at me control your temper here's what he would say in verse 9 be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Oh, woo, for anger. Anger says, I know I am right. You ever been angry? This guy would get angry and he would turn green and he would be ripped up and then he would go off on people because anger would reside in his heart and it would lodge itself in the heart of this fool. He would burst and anger can burst. But take a look. <laughs> Ned Landers of the Simpsons was nice, so nice. He was always the nicest person in the room. He, listen to me, he never got angry. But he was naive and he was weak and he was not respected and nobody listened to him because he never got angry. And somewhere in between the Incredible Hulk and Ned Flanders is Jesus. And he's perfect. 
And his half-brother would say in the first chapter of James that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But Paul, an early follower of Jesus, a brilliant man, would say in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Scientists tell us, doctors tell us now, I was reading some research this week, is that a suppressed anger has the same cardiovascular detriment health-wise as expressed anger. So if you've got some Ned Flanders in you, don't think you're superior to the Incredible Hulk. Vice versa there. But suppressed anger can have the same detrimental effects on cardiovascular health and to the people around you as expressed anger and what we learn in Jesus in between the incredible Hulk and Ned Flanders is that we see in Jesus what grieves God should grieve us and we do not we have way too many Ned Flanders in the world way too many Ned Flanders in the church who are passive and indifferent about the things that matter and that is the way of foolishness so be angry never says that you should not be angry. Wisdom says that that needs to be a controlled and channeled and monitored emotion. But it's valuable. We should grieve. What grieves the heart of God grieves us. I sat with a friend this week who told me. He, he was, I didn't know where he was going with this story. But he made a confession. It's that too common confession of struggling with um, pornography. And he told me about kind of a turnaround in his life. And it's fresh, it's new, but I could see the the lightness and joy and possibly the change. But he talked about going across the street and talking to a highway patrolman. He introduced himself to this highway patrolman and noticed that he had patrolman he'd been noticing had wife and young children. And they were just talking. And this patrolman was telling him the story. And my friend said, hey, how can I pray for you? You know, we're neighbors. I appreciate what you do. And this patrolman told him a story when he pulled over just recently. He pulled over a man who was driving, um, a woman who was a prostitute in the seat next to him, the passenger seat, and a six-year-old girl in the back seat. And I I won't even finish the story of what my friend told me about the six-year-old girl. But he wept to me, and he said, and y'all know, right, you do know. Like, by the way, consensual sex is, the low, is such a low bar. But drugs and human trafficking and the relationship that it has with what some of us get our jollies on by looking at screens, like, that's foolishness. And this, I mean, it, it is a great lie, and it's destroying intimacy of so many. Bring that out of darkness into light appropriately. And I'm telling you, there's victory. And I think my friend is just beginning to tell me about how he was jarred out of the lie of pornography. There's a healthy anger. And anger doesn't like human trafficking. And a a, a wisdom gets angry at human trafficking and rape and exploitation. And so we need healthy anger among us because we need to do something about the problems of the world. And the world is crying out for us to do something. And the prophet Amos in Amos 5 long ago would say, don't just sit here and sing songs. Like be involved in a rushing mighty wind and work of the spirit where justice rolls. And Martin Luther King Jr. would help in part make that famous in, 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 our, in our America but that we would do something about it. So lastly, the sixth thing among all these that I'm giving you from chapter seven is to finish well. 
to finish well. I'm going to cue Lauren and the team to go ahead and make their way up. They'll, um, they're going to get set as we begin to sing and close and go. But the day of death better than the day of birth. Are you kidding me? Like, what is he? Like, no. Here's what he's saying as I've studied it. Here's the contrast. Note takers, jot this down. This will help you. It's so rich. Death is, uh, birth is about potential. Death is about fulfillment. Birth is about potential. Death is about fulfillment. I've got three kids. They're really not kids anymore. Three kids born in three different cities. Florida, Southern California, and St. Dominic. They're now 23, 20, and 17. Each birth was euphoric. Each birth, man, I was, now Susan and I have contradictory stories about my role in that process of each of those births. Uh, mine is right. I know I'm right. She's wrong in this. But look, I was euphoric. It was joy-filled. And I still think about their potential, even at 23, 20, and 17, because there, there's so much that stretches before them, Lord willing. And I think about the potential. Like, I want to I wanna see my, you know, Robert, are you saying that, you know, d- death is greater than birth? I mean, like, don't you want to see your kids? Don't you want to see uh, your daughter walk down the aisle? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. I know I, I want to see that. I want to see my kids become, I want to see them have kids. I want to grow old with Susan. I pointed at her at the 9.30 like she, she'll be there at 11. But I, 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 I want to grow old with her. I want to I grow old with her. I want to sit on the porch and sip coffee. I want to sit on my kids' porch, one of my kids' porches with Susan, growing old, sipping coffee, sucking financial resources away from them like they did me. I want that. Listen, I want to grow old with her. And I want, but, but the day, look, birth is so beautiful because it's, it's potential. But death. That's fulfillment. Over 400,000 flights take off a day. And nobody thanks Jesus when they land. But you watch one of them fall out of the sky and we shake our fist at him. Because we think that death is the great enemy. And can I say under the sun, it is. But with Jesus, it's not. Death is fulfillment. It's fulfillment. Now, last phrase, he says this. Go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why would Solomon say that? When you're like, I love to party. I love people. On me. It's been on hard on everybody. But man, I love crowds. I love people. I love closeness. I love some feasting. By the way, I, I tell you, I'm coming to your Super Bowl party tonight. I love feasting, but at feasting, what do we do? Feasting may look like this for some of you. You cut into that filet and you drink that Merlot. And what are you doing? You're talking, you're exaggerating stories, you're throwing your head back in laughter. And not once are you thinking, what if I die tomorrow? Am I right with God? You walk into the house of mourning. And here's what a wise person does at a funeral. A wise person walks in and they mourn, but they look and they say, that's going to be me. And invariably, the wise take stock. They take stock. So wisdom, as we close, as I've thought about it this week, it has a couple of components when you look at the scripture. 
the wisdom literature, what Jesus would teach. There's, first of all, the, the component of absorption. This is uh, let's taking in. When you absorb something, you, you, you take in. You're taking it in. You're searching for it. You're listening for it. Not the shouts of fools and society, but the quiet wisdom that comes from a few and from the word and from the promptings of the spirit. There's absorption there and you take it in. You got to slow down to do that. You got to have more of a contemplative nature. You got to embrace solitude, but absorbing it is when you take it in. And like a lot of us can do this fairly easily. But there's another component to it, and it's application. And that's when you act on. So absorption is taking in. Application is acting on. And this is, more times than not, this is the breakdown. This is about, how many times have you, I knew I needed to. I knew the best way. I, I knew what was My mama taught me that. Man, I learned that in church. I, I memorized that in Sunday school. I remember when I used to have quiet times a couple of years ago, and this verse stood out to me, and you absorbed it. There was some searching for it. Uh, you you kind of found it. You listened for it. You, you know it. Absorption is taking in, but application is acting on. And this is ultimately what wisdom is and what separates the foolish from the wise. Refuse bribes. Live honorably. Receive criticism well. Develop patience. Control your temper and finish well. Would you stand with me? Would you allow me to pray over you? God, would you help us to walk in the way of wisdom? And I close this service, at least this prayer, this sermon, with Colossians 2, 3. That Jesus is wisdom. That there ultimately is wisdom personified. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so every time we fail, every time we make a knucklehead decision, every time we find ourselves in a ditch... Every time we scratch our head and say, I knew better, I should have done better, there's Jesus. The one who offers us grace, the one who's the ultimate in wisdom, the one who can pick us up and dust us off and put us back in there. Lord, would you help us? Some of us are really strong with absorption. We're taking it in and we are educated way beyond our level of obedience. And would you help us to act on? Would you help us in our application? Would you help us form closer-knit communities where we would spur one another on to love and good deeds, where we would not forsake the assembly. We would come together and then we'd provoke each other to do what is right, to walk in the way of the wise. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.